Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for being with us on this episode of Cradle My Heart Radio, where we are going to talk about the ministry to those who have been broken by a grievous sin. And it it, of course, pertains to our, our main mission of helping the church be the place for preventing and repenting abortion as we help uh, equip and encourage pastors and other church leaders to open up about abortion in the church, to open up about abortion in our midst. And the thing that is, uh, I think, is some somewhat of a missing piece is pastors clearly communicating the repentance that is available to us after abortion. And so I want to talk with uh, a friend and a mentor and someone who I think has uh, helped me to understand the value of chaplaincy when it comes to looking at the problems that abortion brings into the lives of those who have experienced it. And so it's our pleasure to welcome to the program uh, Chaplain Jim Kirkland, who is the leader of Christian Chaplains and Coaching, Christian Chaplaincy and Coaching. <laughs> Chaplain Jim, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to Cradle My Heart Radio. Thank you, Kim. It is really a pleasure to be with you, and I'm very proud also to be able to claim you as one of our very own chaplains too. So thanks for having me today. Yeah, well, it's been a process for me, you know, to to actually go through the training and to continue in an on, on an ongoing basis in the training uh, to help people with this problem of a, a serious sin in their past. And maybe I want to start by talking about how when a crisis occurs, whether it's a natural disaster or just something that is a huge upheaval, you know, a, an earthquake in your emotional life, if you will, um, I, I have really seen that people tend to return to the unfinished business of serious sin. And in talking with women, especially who have experienced abortion, even very mature Christians, Jim, I will find them telling me, well, I know that miscarriage was God's judgment on the abortion. I know the divorce was God's judgment on the abortion. And I don't know if it's, um, it, it just is such a common phenomenon that I thought maybe we would start there about how when a new crisis occurs, if you have unfinished business of guilt and grief, um, it's likely to to sort of erupt in ways that are not biblical, that are not godly and not helpful. Maybe we can start there. Well, yeah, that's actually a good place to start, because 
if we really do have a biblical understanding of what it means to be separated from God because of sin, then we understand that we all are already under the ramifications of sin, which is death. And in Christ and the forgiveness that we have from Him, it delivers us from the wrath of God, but it certainly does not change the fact that we're struggling with the consequences of our actions. Being forgiven doesn't mean getting out from underneath consequences. But forgiveness from God and receipt of His Holy Spirit to help us respond to life, a new life in Christ, in, so that we're living it and thinking about things in a different way, it, 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 over time it reestablishes a connection with God and helps us to be established with, re, with proper relationships with each other, and that includes experiencing the forgiveness that can only come from God. Mm. So I think that's a good place to start. Right. And so I think it, just as I'm hearing you frame it in that way, I think about Cain uh, after the after the murder of, of Abel and how God dealt with him to say, you know, here's going to be the earthly consequence of that choice that you made. You know, um, you, you're not going to die, but you're going to have to deal with, for the remainder of your life, the earthly consequence of having made that choice and having sinned in that way. And I think helping people to accept that this is the way that God may deal with us, um, or, or as you've said, maybe always deals with us in the aftermath of sin, uh, seems to be you know, it's like the comfort of correction from Psalm 23, right? <laughs> oh, okay, at least right. I, I know what to expect now that I've heard from you, you know, my Lord. And and see if if we can talk a little bit more about the earthly consequence and how they play into God's wrath, God's judgment, God's grace, all of the other aspects of God's character. Sure. Well, you mentioned Cain. Uh, the, the problem with Cain is that he was under the wrath of God from his sin, but when he died, he still was separated from God. I would rather think of it in terms of that thief on the cross next to Jesus, mm. who actually did deserve the punishment that he was getting on that painful experience on the cross next to Christ. He didn't. He hadn't gone to church. He had lived a sinful life. He had committed the crimes for which he was found guilty, and he admitted right on the cross that he was guilty of those crimes. That's why he was there. He deserved to be there. He recognized that. He didn't dress right. He didn't speak right. He didn't sing right. He didn't go to church. He didn't experience hymns. He didn't have any kind of a life that would do anything to earn a right standing with God. And yet on that cross, even in his final moments, he professed his faith and belief in Jesus Christ, and he was forgiven and he was taken into heaven with Christ that very day. That is the important thing for all of us, that we need to just believe God. And if we would, just believe Him and receive it, and everything in our lives can change with whatever time we have left, whether it's minutes, like that thief on the cross, or whether it's years, in our case, hopefully. Mm. Our guest today is Chaplain Jim Kirkland, who is an ordained pastor and executive director of Christian Chaplaincy and Coaching. He's a board-certified chaplain and lead teaching chaplain of the organization, and he's also a clinical pastoral education supervisor. And 
with all of those credentials, uh, I know that the the mission of Christian chaplaincy and coaching doesn't isn't limited to those who believe in Christ. Um, and so I think you know for pastors and church leaders who may be listening, uh, it's maybe it's not as frequent that they would be interacting with non-believers, you know, or uh, unbelievers on questions of life and death and abortion and serious sin. And yet, I think maybe pastors might need to not assume that those in the pews in their congregation are indeed believers in Christ. Um, How can you take this model of chaplaincy, taking people right where they are, you know, not assuming anything about what it is that they believe, and, and use that as a starting point to get them to the gospel, if they're open to it, um, to speak truth into their situation. Yeah, well, uh, basically you're asking, how do we encourage people who are broken, who are lost, and establish some kind of a relationship with them that garners us the right to speak about the hope that is within us because of the forgiveness that we've received? And this is an area that I think in many ways the Church is failing, and in a word, we're talking about relationships. I, I've, personally, I've, I've learned to enjoy listening to the stories of people, regardless of what their lifestyle is or what they believe, and truly engaging in a real relationship with them. The motto of our ministry, which I think is applicable to the Church, is to make a friend and be a friend, and then draw your friend to Christ. What we fail at in the Church is actually making relationships with people that are not condemning and judgmental and finger-wagging and abrasive and sort of finger-pointing to people who don't live as we do. And we don't do a very good job of, of establishing relationships. So to me, it's about relationships, the kind that shows interest in people who are not churched as we are, interested in what they think and what they believe even interested in what they eat, how they speak, how they were raised, where they were raised, just being interested in their story. Because Scripture admonishes us to do life with people in their context, doesn't it? I mean, if you think about it, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 47, is about as clear a picture of the body of Christ in action as anything that you're going to find where they put the body of Christ on display among the secular, among people who didn't believe what they believed, but lived life caring for them in such a way that it showed them what a changed life actually looks like. And that gave them favor, it says in that scripture, with all the people, even those that were denying Christ as Lord, and as a result, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. In chaplaincy, that's what we're all about. We are clergy, we are mature believers and disciples of Jesus Christ, and our work is done in secular settings, like an ambassador of Christ, like a missionary who's on mission in the surrounding community to proclaim the good news, but not in an abrasive way. We start with relationship. We invite them into friendship, just as Scripture explains that we're supposed to do. And I think that's something that we pastors need to get doggone better at teaching our people how to do. It's learning how to engage with people in a non-judgmental or condemning way while we engage in friendships with them outside of the Church. I Let me put it this way. I believe the job description of a pastor found in Ephesians chapter 4, 
the pastor and teacher who equips the saints for ministry. That's my job description as a pastor. And we make the mistake as pastors by just simply teaching them what and telling them why, which we take seriously, adequate, accurate, exegetical teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We teach people what and tell them why, and then we send them out and deploy them among the population of non-believers, expecting them to succeed, and they come back to the Church with their tail between their legs because they failed. And the reason we failed is because we missed an important step. We didn't show them how and do it with them so that they could get to the point where we can deploy them to do that very thing, and that's what our chaplain ministry is all about. Mm. We are teaching people and showing them how while doing it with them so that we can send them out with a community of believers to show people in the secular what it looks like when the body of Christ shows up in their backyard, and that is discipleship. You know, and as I listen to you put it that way, it occurs to me that if you've never been ministered to in that way, someone building relationship, listening, seeing to your needs, um, you're not going to be able to give people what you haven't gotten. But if you've gotten that at church or in your, you know, in your faith circle of the church, you never forget it. You, you, you've learned it by, by actually receiving it. And so that, that's encouraging um, that, you know, it's a real need for ministry in the church. People need to be listened to and heard. And, and I think about, you know, your story, Jim, I, and I want to give you a chance. I want to listen. I want to give you a chance to talk about how you were drawn into this work, how you got the heart for people who are broken and hurting. You know, many people, oh, my goodness, if there's a death in the family or even, you know, a, a reproductive loss such as we deal with, not just abortion, but miscarriage, people don't know what to say, so they say nothing you know, they don't want to increase the pain, but they also don't want to feel the pain, I think, sometimes. Um, how how are you, do you have an extra store of empathy? How are, you, how are you drawn into this work yourself? Well, I don't, I never did have an extra store of empathy for people. That, that grew in me over time. I, I accepted Christ for Salvation back in 1978, and... I mean, honestly, even though I acknowledged Christ is Lord and became a believer in Him for my salvation, I spent the next 15 years of my life focusing on what I want, how I want to live, the success that I wanted to get, the business that I wanted to create, the stuff I wanted to buy for myself. It was all about me, really. Manipulative relationships with people easily burning bridges with people who disagreed with me, or if I couldn't get from them what I wanted, I'd go on to somebody else. I mean, it was ridiculous as I think back on it in my life. Even though I'm professing Christ for salvation, I'm living life in a very judgmental, unloving way that didn't really attract people into a relationship with Christ. And honestly, as I look back on the me that I used to be before the Holy Spirit really got a hold of me, I was not very kind. I wasn't very gentle. I wasn't very loving. I certainly wasn't very capable of inviting people into a relationship where they knew that I cared about them. But now that has changed, and it's changed dramatically in my life. So I think the expectation of Scripture is that if we believe, and I I mean really believe, I, I mean going beyond knowing Jesus is Lord, 
because that's what I believed back then. I, I didn't have any doubt that he is Lord. But making him, acknowledging him as Lord, there's a huge. let me just say there's a huge difference between those two words, is and as, right? Mm, so mm-hmm. I can know he is Lord, but not live my life in submission to him as Lord over my life. We Christians profess our faith in him, and then we live our life as if we're in control instead of letting him be in control. So the, the point of Scripture is, if we believe, we genuinely believe, then we've received his Holy Spirit, the helper sent from God to help us live a new life and empower us to live a new life in a new way in Christ, and that looks different, and the fruit is different, and it all looks like love. So if we have a relationship with God, and if his experience produces a life that is changed, if the Holy Spirit is helping us with that, then we are going to love people. If we love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and all our soul, then the second of the greatest commandments will follow. If his love is in us, then we will love our neighbor as ourselves. And who is our neighbor? The Pharisees believed that the neighbor, our neighbor, was people like us, who went to our church, who dressed like us, and talked like us, and eat like us, and believed like us. That was their neighbor. And when Jesus gave the answer to that lawyer, who is my neighbor, and gave the story of the Good Samaritan, he turned the world upside down from their point of view, because our neighbor is not just people who believe as we believe. Our neighbor is also the person across the street who is suffering. And so I can't say that I have had empathy, but that his spirit and his love growing in me and through me is now manifesting itself in such a way that I can truly love people. I, you know, let me just end with saying that Christ first did his work to us so that we could be saved. And now he wants to do his work through us so that others can be saved. And that is not going to be effective if we don't have love for God and that love is shining through to love other people. You know, Jim, as I hear your story, it's very inspiring. And there may be pastors or church leaders listening who are at that 15-year mark, so to say, or symbolically, where they know the Holy Spirit is not a part of the equation. They know that they need God's power in their lives and it's lacking. And I just, I I mean, I know for me, gosh, I probably, let me think, um, I probably had been a Christian maybe about the same amount of time before the Holy Spirit, um, you know, I received fully the Holy Spirit and was able to, in the same way, say, you know, live as if Jesus is my Lord, live as with Jesus as my Lord, I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, and for me, it had to do with, you know, being released from a matter of personal shame. And yes, over the abortion, over other things as well. But being able to, you know, share that with other people and not be rejected and realize that I had been guarding my heart against something God was trying to do in me because of that sin. Uh, was there a similar process for you? I mean, I, I know some listening are like, I crave that Holy Spirit. How? How does this happen for an individual? Yeah, I wish I had a, 
I wish I had a, a formula that would work for everybody. I've got friends that when they had their salvation experience, it was like just a traumatic and immediate and profound change of thinking and living and loving that took place. For me, it wasn't so much like that. It took longer. It was like the seed was planted, but it took a long time before it germinated. Mm. It took me 15 years just to make the 18-inch journey from my head knowledge <laughs> to my heart knowledge. I mean, and from then, I mean, I was broken for the Lord and began to make some change in my life, which from then until now has continually helped me to love Him more and to love people more. So, oh goodness, it, you know, it, it really boils down to what we're believing, doesn't it? But what, what are we believing? What are we really believing? The fruit that we produce, the life that we're living, is coming from what we're believing. That's the that's that's what's being brought up. And if if our life is represented by a tree that produces fruit, the fruit that we're producing is coming from what we're believing. And if we're believing something false about who we are and who God is, who we are in relation to God, and if we're believing something false about what God does and what I do, that's why I like to ask those questions when I'm in a chaplain spiritual care setting with somebody. I just like to get them talking it out instead of giving them answers, because we don't have the answers. Only God can fix them. So I'll ask them, well, how are you dealing with this trial? How have you dealt with trials in the past? How are you feeling about this? Who is God to you? If I didn't know anything about God, how would you describe God to me? And flesh that out. You'll find out a lot about what they believe by just asking them questions and letting them talk without judging them. Well, who does that... Well, then, how do you know that God can love you, and what does that make you, and who are you in relation to God, and how can we help each other to make progress and to have assurance? Those are the kinds of questions that I like to ask, but it all boils down to what we're believing. It's, what are we believing? Repentance is the act of turning from false belief to true belief. And so, in my case, I believed in God. But I don't know that I was actually believing God. I believed in God, but I was still in charge of everything, making decisions for right or wrong apart from God. It's the same for all sin, and it infects all of us, even those of us who believe. that That's part of the good news, don't you think, that God saved us when we professed, and He forgave us all of our sin? But it doesn't stop there. He's also forgiving us right now. Our, our thoughts and words and deeds, known sin and even unknown sin that we don't even know that we're committing. He's still forgiving us in the moment, and He will forgive us in the future everything that we do that is also considered by God to be sin. That's good news. Nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hand. <laughs> yes. So the, the question for us becomes, in our belief, who's in charge? The, the, the great lie of Satan back in Genesis chapter 3 is simply, let me rephrase it this way, he said, you should just take it into yourself. Just eat that fruit. It's wonderful. It's appealing. The, the belief that you can decide for yourself what's right or wrong. You can, you can decide what's good or bad. You don't need God to tell you that. You can do that yourself apart from God. The, the, point, the point of Satan was that we don't need God. He, his, his tactic was to question God and what God said teaching that we can be in charge of our own life and decisions apart from God. Eating that fruit will make you the equal of God himself. 
What a lie. And even Christians are still buying into that lie, that that we believe we're saved. Now I'm going to go live my life, call my shots, decide what's good or bad, right or wrong, for myself. I don't need God to tell me that. What a lie that is. And And honestly, who doesn't want to be in charge? Who doesn't want to call the shots and be in the driver's seat? We spend a lot of time acknowledging God, but not obeying Him. Because even Christians tend to live as if we are in charge, instead of God actually being in charge, and we're submitting to what He says is right and wrong. It's one thing to believe in God. Another thing entirely to believe God and do what He says, even, even when we don't fully understand what it may be. So our, our, honestly, our belief should be producing some evidence of the change <laughs> taking place in our life. Yes. As we learn to stop praying, this is something that's been changed for me, and I'm getting joy for the first time in my whole life. I'm 65 years old this year, and for the first time I'm experiencing the joy that Jesus promised in John 15. I've taught you all this, he said, so that my joy will be in you. Well, I've finally learned to stop praying that God will bless what I'm doing. And I'm now asking him to help me do the things that he is blessing. Mm. That's just an amazing thing. Yes, and I, I, unfortunately we are out of time, but it is a beautiful note to end on. And I thank you so much for the exhortation to all of us, especially pastors and church leaders who are charged with helping others to overcome serious sin, that uh, as we so often learn, you know, we need to, Ah, get ourselves right before the Lord before we ever attempt to help others. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Kim. It was a pleasure. Have a wonderful day, and God bless to all of your listeners. Chaplain Jim Kirkland of Christian Chaplaincy and Coaching has been our guest. If you'd like to know more about his organization, please visit us online at cradlemyheart.org. There you will find full episodes. If you joined us late for this one, you can listen from the top, or you can find all of our archived materials as well. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.